All right, we go ahead and get started. Welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here. Great to be here this morning. I know we don't have Kids Village for our elementary today, so we have some younger ones in here. Please know they're, they're not going to be disruptive, and uh, we enjoy having them in here, and they always do great. And uh, uh, super, super excited to get into God's Word. We're a big fan of God's Word, so if you don't have a Bible, grab one at the back. Grab our devotional. Go to around page 140. You can follow along. Also, we do have a special guest here. We have... We have Danny and Kathy Box, uh, which are pastors out of uh, Pflugerville. They started a church in uh, Pflugerville, and then they retired only to continue to serve our city and the pastors of our city. And of all the places they could go on Sunday, they wanted to come visit North Village Church. Yeah, so y'all give a round of, round of applause. So thankful for them being here. And then let's get these uh, uh, clipboards going through the aisle. That's, that's an opportunity for us to serve Pillow Elementary. Pillow Elementary is where we used to meet as a church family, but we're not wanting to serve that school just because that reason. We want to serve Pillow because Pillow is one of the most underserved schools in our district. If you're a refugee family that enters into our city, then more than likely your children are going to Pillow Elementary. And so they're just, they're in incredible need. And so this is a way for us to come alongside them. Right? God's Word calls us to, to, to not only uh, love Him, but to love others. And here's an easy way uh, for us to do that. So just to give you an example, Summit Elementary was just a little north of here. When they do their, their spring fling to raise money for PTA, they'll bring in about $15,000. Right? When Gillette Elementary does it, they bring in $50,000 for their PTA. When Pillow does this, and this is us serving them, they still are only able to get to like $1,000, $1,200 as a, as a fundraiser. And so that just gives you a, a tangible snapshot of the opportunities that we have to serve that school. So put your name on that clipboard. We also have tablets going through the aisle because we're trying to retro-modern clipboards and tablets. That's just, that's just what we do. But that's our way to stay connected as a church family. And so uh, put, put in there whatever you're comfortable with. Our passage this morning is a... Is really, I mean, it's, it's largely about uh, comparison and the damage that comparison does to ourselves, right? It kind of chokes us out as we begin to look at our life compared to the life of other people. And if you notice how easy it is to spiral in comparison, right? You, uh, you, you used to love your car. You were so thankful for your car. You thought your car was great, it was reliable, and then one day you hang out with a friend that got a new car. And the next thing you know, you can't stand your car, right? You get in your car and you're just like, I don't have any of these cool features. My car doesn't do any of those things. This junky old car. You just used to love it, but now you can't stand it, right? Same way with a career. You could be enjoying your career. Thankful the Lord has provided you a place to, to work and to provide for you, for you and your family. And then you have a friend. You get coffee, and they got a promotion. They got a new title, new opportunity, new things. And next thing you know, you're like this crummy job, right? Why? It's because of comparison, right? It's like that in every area of our life, where you go on vacation, right? Whether you're married, whether you're single, if you have children, stages of life, financial education, like it's, it's a, like a noose around our neck, like when we compare 
ourselves. And so God's word is going to speak to that. Specifically, stay with me, God's word is talking about married people and single people. So that's what we're talking about specifically in the context. But they're comparing themselves to so much that it's hurting their relationships and we can apply it to a lot of different areas of life. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. I'll read, you follow along. He says, now, concerning virgins, I know, it's early to be talking about virgins. Like, golly, oh, just jumps right off our teenagers. Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? Yeah. Concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So if you're new here this morning, 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 4, quarrels and conflicts. Chapter 5, here's an example. A man's having sex with his father's wife. That leads to conflict. That's chapter 5. In chapter 6, the first Corinthian, the Corinthian church is struggling so much, they're taking one another to court. At the end of chapter 6, you have men and women in the church family having sex with prostitutes, people that you pay as an act of worship for sex. And then chapter 7, what we looked at last Sunday, uh, you have married people that aren't having sex with each other. Now, my, my, uh, my children on, uh, last week said, Daddy, like, we've talked about sex so much. Like, can we just stop? Like, but that's the context for the Corinthian church. Like, did you hear that? In chapter 6, you have single people having sex with everyone. In chapter 7, you have married people not having sex with each other. So that's the confusion. That's the context of the Corinthian church. In verse 25, the Apostle Paul uses the word virgin for a connotation or a man or a woman who isn't married. Right, So that in verses 1 to 24, he's primarily talking about marriage. So that in verse 25 to 40, he's talking to those who aren't married. Look at verses 26, 27, 28. He says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Meaning, are you married? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. So in verses 26 to 28, that's the context, right? There's married people and single people, and they're struggling to get along because they're comparing themselves to one another. So much that it's causing conflict. So the Apostle Paul, he's trying to elevate a freedom, like stop getting trapped in this comparison. You can have freedom in these areas of life. Specifically, single people and married people are struggling to understand how to get along with one another. And that can happen today in 2023, right? It's not uncommon for a married person to be talking to a single person, and then eventually when there's a lull in the conversation, so what? You want to get married? How come you're not married? Have you, are you thinking about getting married? Are you dating anyone? Do you want to date anyone? Can I set you up with somebody? I, I know somebody. I can help you get married. Like it, it happens so quickly. We're like, that's the obvious conversation of like, of course, you should be married. And so it happens externally. But this type of pressure on a single person, it also happens internally, not just within the church, but within the culture. Because so many of our romantic comedies are about what? The boy and the girl 
who fall in love and live happily ever after. And so if you're a person who's not married, in our culture, it's easy for you to start thinking to yourself, how come I'm not married? What's wrong with me? Does nobody want to date me? Am I not attractive? Does God not care about me? He brought a spouse for that person. That person's horrible. Why would God do that? Why would he not bring it? Right? And so we turn into this place of despair. Why? Because we're comparing our stage of life to somebody else. So that God's word is pressing into our souls. You don't need to do this. It's great to be married. It's also great to not be married. I mean, in the context of 26, 27, and 28, there's circumstantial reasons, benefits, for a person to not be married. Do you see it? Don't look at me. Like, look at, look at God's word. Verse 26 says there's a present distress. Verse 28, troubles in this life. There's circumstantial reasons. We don't know what those are. It could be the persecution that was going to come under the Roman emperor Nero. It could be that there was a, a famine in the land that would have put more strain and more pressure. We don't know, but either way, the Apostle Paul concludes it's great to be married. It's also great to not be married. I need you to hear that this morning. It's not my opinion. It's what God's word is teaching us. Hear that. There's freedom to not get married. God's word gives us that freedom. You don't have to get married. He's not waiting to move in your life once you get married. I thought that. I thought, I thought like, once I get married, there's going to be some immaturity in my life that just vanishes. As though a ring on my finger would catapult me to maturity. Uh, it didn't. Like, I was the same immature person before the wedding and after the wedding, so I need you to hear that. Doesn't mean marriage is bad. I know sometimes our culture is very confused. Like our culture, our culture thinks to elevate something, you have to put down something. Have you seen this? Right? I mean, to, to elevate black people in our culture, you have to put down white people. To elevate women in our culture, you have to put down men. And so it would be easy to think, well, if we're gonna if we're gonna elevate those who aren't married, oh, we gotta kind of make fun of married people, right? No, no. (laughs) Like God's word makes it also very clear that marriage is a good thing. Ephesians chapter 5, marriage is a symbol of the love that God has for his people. That's, that's, That's shown through marriage. Praise God for that. 1 Timothy 4 teaches that for one to forbid marriage is actually demonic. We don't want to mock marriage. Hebrews chapter 13 says... That marriage is to be held in high regard by all people. So absolutely, marriage is a gift, but it's also a gift to not be married. You see that? Sometimes in the local church, we get nervous if we, if, we, if we tell people it's okay to not get married because the assumption is, well, if you don't get married, you're just going to drift to irresponsibility. You're going to drift to a life of leisure and comfort and spend the whole day thinking about yourself. And so the way to prevent that is to get you married, right? But God's word doesn't doesn't have that concern. God's word makes it really clear the mindset for a single person and a married person. Look at verses 29 to 31. 
He says, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy, (laughs) it's like Ecclesiastes, as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Look, I know that's a lot, but in verses 29 to 31, the Apostle Paul, he's describing a perspective that the follower of Jesus has. Do you see it in the passage? Whether you're married or whether you're single, the perspective is to live for his glory. That phrase, the time has been shortened, that's important. Jesus lived, died, resurrected, and then he ascended to the Father so that we are waiting for Jesus to return. And so that's what I mean. That's where we are right now. The time has been shortened. The apostles lived with the perspective that at any moment, any minute, the time has been shortened. Jesus could return. They lived with that urgency. They lived with that expectation, that anticipation. Right? So whether you're single or whether you're married, that that would be our our mindset. The time has been shortened so that we don't get swept up in the ways of this world. Do you see that at the end? You don't want to hold too tightly to the cares of this world. He's going through joy and weeping and purchasing. Like, it's, it's like you don't want to get so swept up in the highs and the lows of this world that you hang on to it too tightly. Right? That, that we're not too anchored into this world. Why? Because this world's passing away. The time has been shortened. Jesus is going to return. Listen, it's 2,000 years later. That's still the perspective we are to have. In Christ, with urgency, with anticipation, Lord, come. And while we're here, whether we're single or whether we're married, it doesn't matter because we're to live for his glory. Do you see that? That's what he's getting at in this passage. That's the, that's the perspective that a follower of Jesus is to have today and in the first centuries. Where I don't know why you're comparing yourselves to one another. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Both live for his glory. So let's talk about that practically. Let's just get into the details. Let's talk about marriage, the gift of marriage. God's word makes it clear. Marriage is a gift. Praise God. A spouse is a gift. Love, marriage. But we don't want to be so focused on marriage that the gift of marriage becomes our priority. I know that's probably confusing to hear at a local church. Be like, you always say marriage is important. It is. But we don't want to put so much focus and that can happen in our culture, that, that our culture as a, as a world, that, that, that marriage becomes our priority where we end up worshiping the gift instead of the giver of the gift. Does that make sense? And so in a marriage, we end up putting so much pressure on our spouses that our spouse is supposed to understand us. Our spouse is supposed to get us. I don't even have to talk. My spouse just knows what I'm thinking. My spouse completes me. Right? That's why marriage is oftentimes presented. What a tremendous amount of pressure to put on your spouse in marriage. Right? 
that's not possible. Jesus is the one who gets us, who completes us, who knows everything about us. Like marriage is a gift, but we don't want to put so much focus on marriage. Let's talk about children. Children are a gift. It's clear. They're a blessing from the Lord. But sometimes, especially in our culture, in the United States, we can put so much focus on our children. We can get swept up in the ways of the world to be the best parent we can be. We can make them the priority of our lives as parents. And that, that's in our culture it's a myth in our culture, absolutely, that mom and dad are convinced that if I give my kid the right vegetables, if I have them drink from the right sippy cup, right, if I have them have exposure to baby Mozart, if I fanned all their gifts, give them the right tutoring and give their heart everything it desires, then I will be able to set them up for a life without any problems. That's... That's not true. That's not the purpose of parenting. I mean, give them, give them shelter, a bed, some food, have them brush your teeth every once in a while. Like, that's good. That's not our, our focus in life is to live for his glory. The time is short. He can return at any moment. Are we going to present our children to him? Like, look at his teeth, Lord. They're straight, they're white, they're flossed. I did that for you, Lord. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying we neglect our children. I just don't know that's supposed to be the purpose we exist in Christ. Let's talk about our homes. Oh, oh yes. I was thinking, I bet y'all are probably thinking, like, Michael, I just wanted to be encouraged. Like, this is like a punch in the gut. Why are you doing this to me? Like, I notice sometimes if you're listening to pastors at a national level, like, it's really common for pastors at a national level, they're talking about how they either love what the culture's doing and embracing it, and how, you know, that's great, or they're saying, that's horrible. And if you notice, in either one of those perspectives, it's pointing at other people. But I assure you, God did not gather his people to send under his word to talk about other people. Does that make sense? That's so silly. He's brought us here to press in on us through his word, in ways that we might be getting swept up with this world. And our homes are absolutely a way that we can do that. We can make our homes our fortress of solitude, that when the world is hard and dark and scary, I retreat to the safety and comfort and warmth of my home with the right sheets and the right shower pressure and the right lighting it's so pretty. Look, I'm, I have a home. I'm not, it's great to take care of our homes, but let us be careful that, that in, the, in the challenges of life, we're not running to our homes. The follower of Jesus, where do we find warmth and security and safety? It's Jesus. So get a home, get a house, get a roof, get a bed. It's nice. It's not our focus. Let's talk about retirement. That's too much, isn't it? Like, Michael, not retirement. Don't touch my retirement. But that can happen, can it? I mean, we get sucked into that American dream. I'm going to get my spouse, I'm going to get my house, and I'm going to retire young. Oh, oh, if that could happen, to retire young, to be able to just 
lay on a beach and drink pina coladas all day. That's what we see in God's word, isn't it? Like God's people just playing golf a lot. Like, isn't that the dream that Christ has for us? No. Like, it's good. It's wise. Prepare. Have retirement. But I assure you, the call the Lord has on our life, it's not retirement. Like he has greater things for every, every one of us in Christ. So the Apostle Paul, he's pressing in on that. He says time is short. Any day now, any minute now, he could come back. So what are we pouring our lives into? What are we giving our lives to? Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians. That's what we studied. And especially as a single person. That's what the passage is specifically talking about. All right, as a single person, the call the Lord has on your life, he's not waiting for you to get married one day. Oh, the things I could do with you if you could just get married. No, right now, right now, right now, right where you are, he's gifted you, he's empowered you, he has a great call on your life. It's not for leisure, it's not for comfort, it's not to hide away, it's not to avoid, it's to embrace the calling the Lord has on every one of us, whether we're married or whether we're single or whether we're black, or whether we're white, or whether we're rich, or poor, or short, or tall. Look at verses 32 to 34. He keeps going. He says, but I want to free, I want you to be free from this concern. It's the concern of comparison, right? He he sees they're weighted down by comparison. They're choking themselves out. He says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Verse 34, it says, and his, inter- and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. All right, I get it. It's, it's wordy. There's a lot in there, and it would be easy to get confused. You're like, what did we just read? Because at first glance, it kind of sounds like that God's word is saying, you know, if you're married, you're kind of wasting your time. Do y'all get that? Like, if you're, if you're wasting your time with a husband and a wife, like mowing the yard and cooking a meal, ugh, but you really want to, you know, it kind of can sound, but I don't think that's what it's, it's not trying to pit, it would contradict the whole passage, right? It's not trying to pit married and single against one another, and there's two reasons for that. First is the word concern. Do you see that in, in verse 32? He says, I want you to be free from concern. The unmarried person, they're concerned. The married person, they're concerned. It says concerned five times. Five times, right? So, so I don't think the answer is for you know, married, single, to avoid this, this challenge of concern. He's talking about comparison. He's like, I, I want you to be set free from this comparison. The second thing is that phrase, things of the Lord. Again, it sounds like he's pitting things of the Lord, stay with me, with things of the world, so that things of the Lord are godly, Things of the world are ungodly. But we know he's not teaching that. Because we know being a godly husband is good. Being a wife is good. Putting your kids to bed, mowing the yard, doing dishes, changing diapers. We know God's word is not saying that, right? So when the Apostle Paul uses that phrase, things of the Lord, I think what he's simply 
He's simply saying is things outside of the family. In addition to the married life and the family life. All right, so the things of the Lord inside the family are godly, they're important, and things outside the marriage and the family, those things of the Lord, they're also important. So that an unmarried person is just more available, right? For things of the Lord like serving the poor, sharing the gospel, equipping the saints, studying God's word, sacrificing themselves for his glory. Like a married person is to do that also, but an unmarried person just has more availability, more capacity to do things like that. Both are to live for the glory of God. I hope that made sense. If that was confusing, please come talk to me because he picks up on that same idea in verse 35. Verse 35 says, This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. He says, I say this to your benefit. That word restraint in the original language is the word noose. That when we compare ourselves to other people, married, single, vacation, jobs, kids, income, education, it's like we're choking ourselves. Why are we doing that? So I say this to your benefit. Like, don't get swept up in those types of things. The greater call in our life, I put it in orange for you. It's to have a secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's it. Married, single, this is our call. Secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Right? That, that phrase, undistracted devotion to the Lord, it, that, that phrase is capturing this idea of sitting with the Lord. That's the invitation for every one of us in Christ, is that Jesus is inviting us to sit with him, to be with him, to walk with him. If you're married, walk with Jesus, be with him. If you're single, stop looking over the fence and seeing what other people are doing. He has a great call on your life. Sit with him. Invite him into those places with you. In every part of our life, when we go to work, let's not get too distracted about what other people are doing. Other people have different callings, different gifts, different purpose. You have your gift, your purpose, your calling. Invite Jesus into that work. Glory to the Lord in that job. When you sit down to read scripture, some people read scripture, they get stuff. Some people have to really meditate on it. Some people approach it in a different way. They go on walks. They go for a drive. They sit in silence. Stop looking at what other people are doing. Have a secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Like, it's not going to be at 100%. It's not going to be 100% until we're face-to-face with Jesus in eternity. But we want to see ourselves moving in that direction. As we mature in Christ, that we delight in sitting and inviting Jesus into our naps. Jesus, I'm going to take a nap. Let's do it unto the Lord, (laughs) to his glory. Go see a movie. Go to the park with your friends. Share the gospel. Pray. 
Whether you eat or drink or whatever it is you do, do it all to the glory of the Lord. That's the invitation. Stop choking yourself out, comparing yourself to other people. He loves where you are. He's called you to himself. He calls you his. Invite him into those places. And the weeping and the, and the rejoicing, the purchasing, Lord, this is all for you. It's by you, through you. But that, that's not just a charge to you. That's a charge to me, too. Like, I, mean, I, I was so encouraged by God's word this week of just thinking about, yeah, Lord, why am I always looking at it? I'm like, it's so easy to look at what others and delight where the Lord has each of us. I was listening to a podcast uh, this week, and uh, a CEO named Sam Altman, I don't know if y'all know Sam Altman, but he is the CEO of uh, OpenAI, right? It's what's described as the most disruptive technology in human history. I don't know if it is. That's just how it's being described right now, right? The greatest thing to ever come along, and, and the interviewer is talking to Sam Altman, the CEO, and they asked Sam Altman, are you financially investing in open AI? It's a good question, right? Like, you think this is the most greatest technology ever. Are you financially invested in it? And he said, no. He said, you're not financially invested in what you think is the most important thing in human history? And he's like, no. He's like, by fortune, I've been able to make enough money. I'm not really cared about making money. And so he said this. He said, I can't think of anything better to do with my life than to invest it in the progression of open AI. And I thought to myself, that's 1 Corinthians 7. That's a, to have a secure, I mean, he doesn't apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He applies it to technology and open AI, but he's essentially articulating 1 Corinthians 7. I, I've made some money. I could make more, but I don't even care about that because my heart, my emotions, my brain, it's captivated by this. That's the invitation of God's word to Jesus in our life. No matter what stage, no matter what age, no matter what season, no matter what gifts, what purpose, that you would respond to God's word this morning and that he would move us to a place individually and collectively to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And so I want to invite our worship team to come up because I just want us to sit. Let's go ahead and lower the lights a little bit. I just want us to reflect, give you some time. I don't want to move to this too quickly. All right, we're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Temple bodies is our fourth part. We've been talking about our bodies, that our bodies are not our own. Our bodies belong to the Lord. In Christ, they've been purchased by his blood. And so we would think about God's word this morning. Think about how easy it is to compare ourselves to others. I don't know where each of us are individually, but I know all of us can get distracted. Why isn't my stomach flatter? Why isn't my car better? Why isn't my, 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 my marriage stronger? Why aren't my children more accomplished? Why, 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 why isn't my family different so it wouldn't create? Like, oh, my gosh. And so that's the question for us to reflect on. Are we trusting God's plan for our life? That we would, we would take that noose from around our neck of comparing ourselves to other people and just ask ourselves, are you trusting? Did you know 
that when you're in Christ, God has a purpose for you. He's equipped you. He's gifted you, enabled you, empowered you, specifically you, for such a time as this. That's one of the most bonkers things about my faith, that Jesus would invite me to be involved in what he's doing in the reconciliation of the world? Are you kidding? And that's not just true for me. That's true for every one of us. So do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has a plan for you? Especially as a single person. He's not waiting for you to get to a certain stage of life. He has a plan for you today. Because I know it'd be so easy as a single person, you walk into a local church, it's a lot about marriage, it's a lot about children. And as a single person, you could feel out of place. And so I just want to apologize to you. You're not out of place. You are needed in the body of Christ. He has a wonderful plan for you. It's okay to not be married. It's a gift to not be married. I know that's so deeply embedded in our minds. Even when you, this could be a bit of a, ta- a tangent, but like when you think about the conversation of biblical sexuality in our culture today, and there's a conversation around same-sex attraction, right, that the idea of somebody's same-sex attraction is going to turn from that same-sex attraction to follow Jesus. Do you know one of the most common pushback, the most common, common objections is that are you saying that God expects me to be single my whole life? Did you hear that? Like, God's word never presents being single as a punishment. (laughs) That's not the connotation. All right, so if you hear that, if there's any despair, any discouragement in that part of your life or any person's part of your life, right, what God's word teaches us is that we don't want to just sit in that reflection. We want to turn in repentance. Repentance It's a big word, just means to turn from that despair, from that discouragement, from that lie, and to turn to Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you need to do that today for the first time. You repent, you turn to Jesus, you admit you're a sinner, you admit you're confused, you admit you need him, you thank him for dying on the cross, for conquering your sin, you receive him into your life. If you've never done that, do that today. The best decision you can make is do that today. Even if you have done that, there's still an opportunity for us to repent. There's still an opportunity for us to get swept up in the ways of this world. For us to have a noose around our neck in comparison. And so that we would turn from that. And we would admit to Jesus. Jesus, I'm getting swept up. I'm getting distracted. I doubt your goodness. I doubt your plan. I doubt your purpose for my life. Whatever it is for you, that you would turn from that in repentance. Don't just sit in that. Turn from that. And then the last one is that we would rejoice. 
The time has been shortened. Oh, that's good news. That's good news that we would live with that urgency, that anticipation that Jesus is going to come back. That there is going to be a day when there are no more concerns. There is going to be a day when there is no comparison. We would rejoice in that. When I pray for our, our church family to receive the peace that his word has to offer, to receive the purpose, the calling. We're going to have people at the back as we sing. If you're anywhere in this process, if you have questions, if you big or small, would you go? Don't sit in it by yourself. Go to those people. Invite them to pray with you and for you and over you. So I want to ask us to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to sing a song about revival. Lord, send revival. That's not just collectively, but that's individually. We want him to revive our hearts with a secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord, with a sincere devotion to him. Father in heaven, would you do that? Would you do that in our church family? God, we're desperate for you. I know we're not going to get there 100% until we're face to face, but would you be moving us in that direction, whether we're five years old or 50, wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we play, that we would be men and women with hearts, with minds that are revived for you with anticipation of your power and your plan in our life. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.